Welcome to More Than a Sign, where we talk to some of Milwaukee's most productive realtors, up-and-coming realtors, and those that work alongside us. However, rather than being a platform for shameful self-promotion, these are intimate discussions about the journey, the struggle, the fear, and ultimately, the personal growth along the way. At the end of the day, nobody really cares about what we do. All that really matters is who we are. Today, we're going to learn who Lisa Ashley is. But before we do, let me tell you a few things about what Lisa has done. So Lisa has been in the business for 12 years, and we're going to hear all about what brought her to this business. But remarkably, in the 12 years she's been in this business, she's sold well over $100 million worth of homes. That's an incredible feat for an individual agent. No disrespect intended, Lisa, but who really cares about that? Let's talk about Lisa the person. So thanks for coming. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So thank you for coming, Lisa. I'm super excited about this. I didn't tell you this, but when I thought about doing this podcast, I made a list of the first 10 people I wanted to be on the podcast. You were in that first list of 10. I think I've done 15, but just know that you were on the top 10 <laughs> list. Thank you. And we haven't done a ton of business together, but from the first time I spoke to you many years ago, I just found you to be one of the most professional, easy to speak to, kind, transparent. For some reason, I remember God, years and years ago, might have been 10 years ago, I was on vacation, I was at the pool, and we had this long kind of back and forth over a deal. And I just remembered how pleasant you were to work with. And I think there can be a lack of that in our business. So I just wanted to start our discussion by saying how excited I am to have you here and how much I've always respected you. And I'm always thrilled to see your name on an offer when it comes through. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So let's go back as far as you're willing to go back. And so it's Lisa what originally? Schneider. So what was life like for little Lisa Schneider? Yes. So I um, came from very small, humble background. Uh, my mother's side of the family, they came directly from Norway and came through Staten Island where there are immigrants. And my father, not as sure about him, but obviously German. Mm. And between those two, they set up and ended up in Wisconsin. So in the beginning, both, you know, as I, from what I recall growing up, my, both of my parents, they worked full time. And as through my childhood and everything, I think when I look back on my real estate career and uh, the other things I've done, a lot of it, I think I, I can attribute my work ethic and mm. all of those things to my childhood. So both my parents always worked and I didn't grow up with the concept of, you know, when you need money, you go ask your parents for mm -hmm. something because you want to buy something. You know, I, I didn't even actually realize that kids had that option until I was like a lot older um, as an adult. But my understanding was if you wanted it, you had to work for it. Mm -hmm. So you come up with something to do to make some money to buy a candy bar, a purse, or, <laughs> you know, whatever that you wanted to do. So I know that my strong work ethic is um, based on that. So what did you do as a little kid to earn your candy bar money? <laughs> yeah, I was a, a really small little entrepreneur <laughs> for sure. So I um, but would buy beads. We had a Winkies down mm. the street. And I'd um, buy beads and I'd make jewelry and try to sell it. I was babysitting when I was 10. 10. Think yeah, about that now, yeah, right? Yeah. So I know. I just wish I could go back and, and watch that person. <laughs> right. But I it was always trying to come up with something to do. And, you know, it worked. Mm -hmm. So 
So you're a little worker bee as a kid through grade school. Mm-hmm. Uh, Where did you go to high school? At Vincent. What was that like? Yeah, it was great. It was new, like the northwest side of Milwaukee was just being developed. There were new subdivisions. We moved out there. And you could, for a very long walk, walk to school or they would have a bus and that kind of thing. But high school was great. I did not work, you know, while I was in school or anything like that. No candy bars? No candy bars <laughs> for me, yeah. So, I mean, I did babysitting and stuff like that, but I was pre- pretty busy studying and all of those kinds of things. When you were in high school, what did you want to be? Everyone would say, hey, what do you want to be, Lisa, when you grow up? What was your dream in high school? I wasn't really certain on what I wanted to do. I don't think in both of my parents, they didn't go to college. They were they went through school, but they didn't go to college. So mm-hmm. really, we did not have that conversation about mm-hmm. what I would do because I was a very good student and always got straight A's and and that kind of thing. It was pretty easy for me. And they always wanted to talk to me about it. But I had thought about investigating that as I got older. But when I was 17, I got pregnant. Mm. And so I had my daughter when I was 18. So that changed that Mm -hmm. plan for life. How nice to be a young parent, though. Yeah, I really like she's just was wonderful then. And she's wonderful now. And Mm -hmm. I'm a grandma. And, uh, you know, I just never regretted it, never regretted her. She's just one of the most wonderful human beings that I know. You probably have a very special bond. Mm -hmm. We do. We do for sure. Yeah. It probably gives you empathy for other young women having kids before they expected to as well. Mm -hmm. So that was completely unexpected. And, uh, you know, I think, too, that that played into part of who I am today having that the understanding of being a single parent mm-hmm. and not having a lot of support and help with those kinds of things so you know when i see other people i'm just i'm immediately drawn to them and i understand you know and sometimes you know things are just absolutely great you don't regret our wonderful children and things like that and we we make do and we get we get by but sometimes those things that at the time we may feel as a trial or something like that really makes us stronger we learn so much from it Mm -hmm. and you know i know i've learned so much from that experience as well so you had to kind of snap your fingers and be a parent and an adult right away Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you said you had your daughter when you were 18 Mm mm-hmm so did you have support around you? Did you have family support? Or were Mm-mm. you kind of, so you were on your no, own? No, I was on my own. Yeah. So, and I mean, I think like even as a teenager, I was a pretty serious person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so when I got pregnant, I was just like, oh, you mm-hmm. know, I'm pregnant. And I was like, oh, well, I, I shouldn't drink soda anymore. I shouldn't drink, I shouldn't eat any Doritos. I shouldn't, you know, it was like mm-hmm. all the rage back then. And <laughs> I was like, no, I have to really watch what I eat because what I eat, she eats. And what I drink, she drinks or he or she. And so, I mean, I really became uh, very health conscious. And I thought about how I wanted to help her become a really good human being. And I really paid attention to uh, and thought about in advance of ways that I could um, help her, you know, to become that a really good person with choices and help to give her more guidance and Mm -hmm. uh, support than I felt at that time that I had. So I became very focused on that. And it really was a good thing. I mean, we're, like I said, we just, um, you know, have, um, she had a a really, um, we were really close uh, throughout her childhood and into adulthood today too as well. Mm -hmm. 
So were you living at home with your parents or were you out on your own? Mm-mm. I I got an apartment and worked. I did cleaning and that was my side job. And, and then when she went off into school, I by when she was uh, eight, eight or nine, I got married and we moved and bought a house. And then, you know, my daughter was going to school and I was working and eventually it came, thought about having a daycare center. Mm. And so we had our our home that was like a nine-room bungalow, so we had lots of bathrooms and rooms, and I decided to open up a daycare center in the home. We were licensed for, I was licensed for eight children at that time, and I would have a waiting list, so eventually mm-hmm. I thought, you know, maybe I could make more money if mm-hmm. I went into a building, so I, I made sure I was pre-approved and went to a lender with Legacy Bank, Bank at the time, and I found a building that I wanted to purchase. It was a warehouse and um, a former warehouse. And so I bought that and we hired a general contractor who eventually quit on us. I don't know mm. why, but at least we got brought the floor up from the warehouse and from the trucks going in. And so that was good. And so my husband and I and a few of our friends and we hired out some contractors helped helped us do the rest. So I opened it up. I got licensed for uh, 50 kids. And eventually um, that was thriving, had a wait list. And 50 kids. I yeah. Mean, that's a big business. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And I, it's funny. I like, I see some of the similarities, like with people, sometimes people would be like, oh, what a lovely job. You can play with mm-hmm. kids all day. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's like, it was, it was, I was in the office. I'd have, you know, between 8 to 12 employees at a time. So I'm overseeing. I hired out to do some of the payroll, but I'm doing all of the requirements from the state of Wisconsin. There are many requirements that mm-hmm. are required to run a child care center. You're really managed um, by the licensing departments and things of that sort. So they come unannounced and it's just books of regulations that you really have to incorporate and keep an eye on day by day. So I'd work from sometimes six in the morning until we closed six at night. Mm. We weren't open on the weekend, but sometimes I'd go up there to catch up on paperwork. But we're part of the food program and making sure all of everything stayed legal and that you did everything properly. And, and as well as working with the parents, making sure you had good programming and all of those things. So it was a, a lot of work. Yeah. Was it profitable? It was very profitable. I made really good money. And, and for somebody who didn't, go to college. Eventually, I went back. I started taking at UW-Platteville um, early childhood education. Mm. I thought then I'd get my degree in that. But it was very profitable for a number of years. I made good money and, and ran it just to the T, you know, with, with everything that I did there. What eventually led me to not want to run a child care center anymore was all the stress during like the housing boom and back in like, you know, 2008 and those that time frame. There were some unscrupulous people that were opening up child care centers and trying to cash in on money from the state for the, I think it was like the AFDC program where you would get money for working. Mm-hmm. And some people were creating child care centers and making it up and like pretending that some kids were coming to the school, charging the state, taking the money and splitting it with those parents who agreed mm. to allow themselves to be 
have their name on the list as if they were going. And I believe that that's part of what the program was. There was a lot of fraud that started going on. And slowly but surely, the state started really thinking that a lot more people were doing that than I think actually were. So they started coming to our, you know, my center more. And even though I had like the little write-ups that you get were very small, you know, some maybe a teacher would go to use a restroom and then there was another teacher in the room that was watching the kids and then that would leave her out of ratio for like two minutes while she went, you know, she drank water and had to use the restroom. So it was like, it was just always something really, really minor and wasn't anything illegal going on. But I started hearing stories of like even the sheriff's department going with the licensing agents into various daycare centers and whatnot. And it just was insulting to me to have run a successful center from 1996, starting in my home, you know, all the way through a dozen years and over a dozen years. And to be guilty before, you know, be right. have so much suspicion on you, it just really was the stress was just getting to be ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, I just wanted a change. And, and I knew uh, during that time period, my husband and I would buy a house and with great bones and we'd move into it and we'd remodel it and update it and then we'd sell it, you know, mm-hmm. after some years. And we would do that a couple of times. We ended up uh, buying a duplex and use that as an investment property and eventually sold that. And it was, we just kind of realized that we found something that we enjoyed doing. And because I had already ran a commercial business, and we were doing not really flipping because we lived in it while mm-hmm. we did the work, but just getting a, a taste of the real estate market that way. And then also working with like the commercial broker who helped me to sell the business and then separately sell the real estate of my daycare. I knew that that was the way that I wanted to go. I, th- I thought that I would try the real estate mm-hmm. business and see how it went. So you touched on something that I think is really important, especially for well, really all agents, I was going to say new agents, but all agents to realize is that the income that we make being agents is taxed ordinary income, you know, as much as 40 plus percent state and federal if you're selling a lot of homes. You can buy an investment property, hold on to it for a period of years and sell it, and that's capital gains, which is, let's say, half the amount of tax. But if you buy a place and fix it up and live in it for two years and sell it, it's tax-free. There are so few tax-free opportunities out there. Um, like you and your husband, my wife and I did that for years and years. We would buy a house, we'd fix it up, we'd live in it for two years and sell it for a handsome profit, and it all came to us. So I think that's an advantage for us in this industry in that we know what a good opportunity is, we know it's likely to appreciate, we know what adds value, and if we do those things and wait a little bit of time, it's, it's a fantastic investment. Okay, so you are intrigued by the real estate industry. What were those steps? Like you either closed or sold your business and then just trace the steps to getting into the business. And then we'll talk about what that first year Mm -hmm. was like. So I finally sold everything in about 2010 and immediately hit the ground running. It's somewhat of my personality where I'm I'm all in. When I make a decision, it's going to happen. And so immediately I started getting my working toward getting my broker's license. So I was taking the classes, got my broker's license, and then joined one of our um, brokerages in Milwaukee to be able to start to sell real estate. So mm-hmm. pretty simple. It didn't take too long to do it. And, you know, I was ready to go. And then what was that first year like? 
pretty slow. I, I mean, it was slow going. I mean, it was after the recession and, you know, coming in at 2010, there was a lot of inventory. I don't know what the stats were for, but it was a lot of months on the market. And, um, and I didn't have, I think, the support at the company that I was with that would really help a new agent to come in. So I eventually had, I think I didn't get paid for like the first six months. I finally had a closing. And and after that, though, my business, you know, got a little bit better. I eventually went on um, Zillow, to bought, started buying Zillow leads to help me just get started. And um, that took off. At that time, there were a lot of first-time home buyers and that kind of thing. And because I was so used to working, you know, 60-plus hours a week, it was easy for me to answer the phone all day and work on the weekends. And I was just willing to do whatever it took to end up being a successful agent. So, so the first six months, were there periods where you doubted your decision? Yeah. I, I mean, I was, I was nervous about where this was going and if it was going to get better and how it was going to get better. When I sold my business, so I made enough money where I had a little, you know, I had a good size nest egg to use uh, to support me while I was working on growing my business with real estate. So mm -hmm. I wasn't too afraid. Just even, like I said, from when I was a, a little girl to adulthood, you know, I just knew if I walked the way that I needed, the path I needed to go in every day, I just took another step in that direction. Eventually, hopefully, if I do the things that I should be doing, then I should be, it should work out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so many people give up in that first six months, right? And we, we see it. There's an expression in our business that a third of the people are getting in, a third are in, and a third of the, are getting mm -hmm. out at any given time. And there are a record number of people coming right now. And it's tough because it's saturated and the market is changing. Mm -hmm. But one of the common themes of the successful people that have been on this show is just not giving up, right? Mm -hmm. Just sticking with it. The first six months for everybody is brutal. Yeah, yeah. Even sometimes the first could be first year, first six years, you know. Mm -hmm. It just depends. But to me... You know, I think, too, that we, we all have so much to learn from each other. And I think having a, you know, being a little bit humble in that area, it's like I know still even to this day I don't know the half of it. Mm -hmm. you know, and I, there's so much I learned from other agents that um, I think, you know, I went into it feeling like, man, I don't know anything. <laughs> you know, I just don't, I don't even know this or that. Or I'd, I'd sell anything because I, I needed the money and I thought I, you know, I might benefit from selling a lot or a commercial property or an investment property or a condo or not just a single family home. But me doing all that also really broadened my knowledge and things of that sort. But like working with you and other um, agents, it's just there's always so much that we have to learn from each other. So. It's humbling, isn't it? A hundred percent. So it's interesting if you think back to that period that was such a struggle and to think forward less than 10 years. There are years that you've sold $20 million worth of real estate mm -hmm. as an independent agent. So if you're not out with a client, mm -hmm. but you're trying to build your business, okay. what are you doing? Yeah. So reconnecting again, touching my, my past clients. And that I think is, I've sometimes fallen short of, is uh, reaching back out to them and letting too much time 
uh, pass by before I'm able to connect with them again. But I think, you know, sometimes it's like I have such a bond with some of, you know, many of my clients. I just love them as human beings and not just as like, oh, they're a great client. Like sometimes they're just the most wonderful people and try to check on them regularly and touch them in a various way if it's a text or a phone call or something like that. So in fact, even like this past Sunday, I had sold a home a few years ago in River Hills, and the family wanted me to stop by and visit. And they have a cute little daughter, and I brought, I stopped by, brought them a gift. I was there almost two hours, nice. and they wanted me to go swimming with them mm-hmm. and all of that, <laughs> you know. But I think the real estate business does more than just real estate. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that in a, a small way, we impact other people's lives. And they, in as much as we even remember them and think about them fondly, when the contract and the deal is all done, sometimes they do with us as well. Mm-hmm. So you brought up working out. So what do you do to blow off steam, to kind of recharge or to get rid of the stress that comes to us in this business? Mm-hmm. What types? Of, what are your outlets? Mm-hmm. Trying to work out, like I said, and just trying to relax and read those kinds of things. I sometimes I, I work a lot, so I might be not be done working until seven o'clock. You know, it just depends on little pockets of time that I have that I just try to be able to refocus on something else. So studying something else or learning about something else or working out and, and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. What are you learning now? Oh. <laughs> uh, I don't know. There's nothing, nothing particular that I, that comes in my mind. Got it. Okay. So, so let's chat a little bit. Um, let's let's shift gears. So we've talked about your upbringing and how you developed your work ethic, your business, which sounds like you built it into a great business, and it sounds like you probably continue to be in that business if it didn't become so overregulated and if the good people weren't punished for the behavior of the bad people. You jumped into real estate really tough in the beginning, but you stuck it out and you've built a great business. And it's probably, uh, what percentage of your business now is word of mouth and repeat business? Mm, probably 75% right. would be a, at least most recently. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And that's a tribute to you. So let's chat for a couple minutes. I'm going to go back to the single mom thing because I think it's really inspiring. What has your daughter learned from you? Probably the same things that I learned, you know, although I tried to do things differently to a degree than my parents had, but I think she learned to work hard, that learning as much and being as smart as possible is important, giving back to people, trying to care, being compassionate and empathetic, those kinds of things. So she's very successful. She's fluent in German and Spanish. Hmm. Um, I let her go live in other countries. When she was 17 and 18, she's learned a tremendous amount. She's became a medical interpreter with Spanish, and now she has her, she's a nurse practitioner with her double doctorate. So wow. she's very successful, but always is a humble person and is also, while doing these other successful things, she's always thinking about giving back. What have you learned from her? Just that, just how amazing people are. You know, I learn a lot even from her. She, to me, she's better than, much better than me as a human being. And I admire her and I really respect her. I think about how broad the mind of people can be and how open and compassionate that people can be. And, and she's, she really is that person. Mm-hmm. And how special that there was not a glide path for her, right? It wasn't 
predetermined. I mean, she grew up with a single mom who was hustling in business and, you know, trying to do everything right on her own. And to see the legacy that you've left, I mean, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's great. Yeah, thank you. I originally, when I, or I kind of, in my mind, felt like, oh, she's going to, I'm going to have her do this and I'm going to have her do that. And I had everything like planned out in my mind when I was pregnant. And I mean, but for the most part, to me, we, we do really have a opportunity to mold our kids, but not in a constrictive or restrictive way. Uh, it's, it's more guiding them and making suggestions. And really, um, if they see who we are as individuals, I think it's, it, I didn't have um, a difficult time with um, that. Yeah, nice. And at 17, when she went off to school, I mean, went off to another country, excuse me, that's when you were a mom. Like you looked at this yeah. young lady. It, it must be, I mean, it's such a different life yeah. that you built for her. So in a prior conversation, you mentioned something and you put it so beautifully. And maybe it's why I've always felt a kinship with you. And that is, you know, we had talked about being an individual agent, but you have a different perspective on that in terms of you're not really an individual agent. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, to me, you know, I feel like I always think about the the phrase of knowledge, knowledge speaks, wisdom listens. And I really feel that even even with all of us agents, sometimes I feel like I'm an island and we talk about an agent working independently and um, it's easy to feel like you're an island and we do every, maybe we do most of everything ourselves with the help of maybe some admin or something. But to me, at the end of the day, our relationships with the other agents that we know and work with are so important because we're all kind of on the same team where we want to help people really just move on to the next phase in their life and to have make a meaningful impact on them. And I, I feel that way with you and you know all the, the other agents that I get an opportunity to work with that we're really all working on the same team in, in a, a way just maybe representing different sides but trying to get to the same goal together. I think people miss that. I mean, they, they don't oftentimes understand that. And you know, one of the purposes of this is to build bridges. And you embody that. You act that way. And from the first time we spoke God, 10 years ago, maybe, I think it had to do with a condo downtown, a Kilbourne Tower condo, mm. I think was our first conversation. Mm -hmm. But you treat people like you're on the same team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, too, that that's despite whether how the other agent may treat us. You know, maybe they might not be very happy with us. If we had a listing, there were multiple offers, and maybe they weren't the one that um, got the accepted offer. Or maybe there's some other thing going on. There is something emotional happening with their clients or something like that. But to me, to rise above that and even still treat that agent professionally and kindly and um, not that you become a doormat or, you know, something like that, but still within the professional degree of just being very nice to that person and being consistent in uh, the respect for them as a human being. I think that that just goes, just comes back to you, you know, and uh, to me, what goes around comes around. It, you never know when I might really hope I have a good rapport with that agent because I might be writing next on their listing, mm -hmm. you know, and I know that's just one way to look at it. But to me, we all can learn from each other. Like I don't have the same experiences of anybody. And that's where that wisdom comes in or trying to glean more out of our situations and our, our jobs by being able to grow as individuals and learning from each other. Mm -hmm. Well, you're 
perfect example of life not going per plan, coming up with a new plan, creating, living that plan like you did with your business, and then starting a new plan and not giving up, um, not losing yourself. I mean, it's very inspiring, very inspiring. Thank you. So let's finish with any advice you'd give to somebody that's six months into the business, they haven't sold a home or maybe they've sold one and they're really questioning, is this my destiny? What do you say to someone like Mm. that? Try to learn from other people that know more than you. That's a lot of people. Listen to what their advice is, what they have to say. The The market is always different. So, you know, at that time we were coming out of a recession and, and things were hard for a lot of agents. And, and we don't know how, if we'll be in one next year or, you know, with the market changing, shifting right now, um, we don't, we can't predict, you know, how much this is going to impact the, the real estate market. But I would say to be open-minded, hang in there you know, try to give it um, at least a year or two. If you're not getting anywhere then, that you know, that's another conversation. But I think just from sheer determination, educating yourself, trying to absorb as much as you can from the other agents that you, you should, you'll be able to do it. Great. Good advice. So if there's somebody out there that relates to your story and they're not fully rolling yet, can they reach out to you for of advice? Course. Okay. Yes. Yep. Definitely. What's the best way to get a hold of you? They can call me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep, or text. Sure. I know. Us agents are very easy to get a hold yeah, of. Yeah, I'm always like staring at my phone. So I'm more than happy to talk to anybody. And I think that's just part of, I think all, you know, many agents are. We just all are there to, many of us are there to help other people too when we have the time for it. There's no one person at the top. You know, everybody, these opportunities are open to anyone. Sure. Well, I really like and respect your organization that you're with. From top to bottom, I have so many friends over there. I feel fortunate that we have a friendship and that we work well together. I liked you and respected you before we sat down. I like you and respect you even more. Your story is great and super inspiring, and I know you'll continue to do a great job. And, and you know, the fact that 75% of your deals right now are people calling you again saying, look, there are a million agents out there, but I want to work with you again, Lisa, is great because one of the most shocking things about our industry is that 85% of the people don't work with the same agent mm-hmm. the next time. And it doesn't mean that they were necessarily dissatisfied, but either they're indifferent or they weren't kept in touch with. So the fact that you're retaining that level of repeat business says it mm-hmm. all. No, thank you. Thank you. I, I will add just side point to that other agent that may be at six months in and not really feeling like they're going that far. If I believe in like the principles of the ninja training, mm. and I think that um, I've gone through it twice and I, I feel like that is a really good program to learn from. And uh, like you just were had mentioned about our clients remembering us and us keeping in touch with them and and those kinds of things. And that's really what that Ninja program is all about, too. Great. Well, a great tip to leave our listeners with. Thank you. This was great. Thank you for being an easy yes. And I look forward to our next deal. Thank you, Rick. Thank you so much. So I'd like to give a shout out to Podcast Town Studios, our producer. No sleep for creating the music. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you believe that you or someone you know would be an ideal guest and would talk about not what they've done, but really who they are, why don't you reach out to me? I'm the easiest guy in the world to get a hold of. Thank you.